Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the New Focus Education Podcast. It is Friday the 9th of June and it's an important date in the British calendar because we've just had an election and what an apt time to have our very first podcast um, for New Focus Education. It's, uh, it just seems fitting somehow. So I'm your host Paul Williams, I will be your host for all of these podcasts and sitting next to me is the very talented, the very beautiful, the stunning, the amazing... I know what side my bread is buttered on. <laughs> Wife, Laura Williams, is here. <laughs> Good evening. So, it, well, it may be evening for us, but it may not. You know, who knows? People may want to absorb educational discussion and debate in the morning. And they might be listening to it then. Oh, yeah. Touche. So, good morning, good evening. And good. Who said that? Good morning, good evening, and good night. Somebody famous and his history teachers we really should know. Well, I don't think it was famous. I think it was Bruce Almighty. No, it's somebody like... Good afternoon, good evening and Bob good night. Monkhouse I've got in my head and nah. I'm sure it's not. I no. think it was Bruce Almighty. Oh, it, it, it's the Truman Show. It's on the Truman Show, so kind of, yeah. Okay, there you go, yeah. Jim Carrey. Oh, so that's a good film. There was a link there somewhere. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the very first episode. So we're going to uh, follow a, a simple structure for these episodes. We're going to start with This Week in Teaching, um, followed by the main focus of our discussion, which on... Friday the 9th of June couldn't be anything other than the most recent election and the hung parliament in Britain. Uh, Wouldn't it be nice if is our third installment of the podcast where we try and just have a quick discussion about what would it really be nice if this could happen? Like children saying thank you more often in in the classroom. Yeah, and things like that, that kind of thing. And following it that with next week I will. A little promise to ourselves... About what we might you are do straying dangerously close into even better if that. I am. What went well <laughs> and even better if. Um, if it goes moderately well, I'll be pleased. So let's start with this week in teaching. What's it been like, Laura? Oh, busy. First week back after half term. Exams. Exams plural for myself with having the A-level exams. Uh, first time we've had the year 13s going through. It was quite stressful today. We had tears. We had a lad who'd locked himself in a toilet. I'm not even joking. That genuinely happened, I meant to tell you before. But uh, yeah, big panic. To what end? Um, Oh, he literally locked himself in the toilet because he'd vomited on himself in nerves this morning. (laughs) Honestly, it couldn't get much worse. We had people who were driving around his house looking for him. But he was locked in the toilet in school. He made it into the exam. He made the time up. But you couldn't write this stuff. It's ridiculous. So it's been one of them weeks. (laughs) Right, okay. I've always wondered that because I don't teach A-level. Um about just the added pressure of those extra exams Mm. does it make a difference yeah it does it's a lovely way to teach it's a lot of pressure resource in it but the teaching of it's fantastic the exams themselves normally aren't as pressured but this is the uh, backwards approach by our government of reforming a level before they reform gcse because the theory is kids will be better at a level when you reform gcse but they've done it the wrong way around so we've got the first linear exams coming through so there is no as anymore that counts towards it. it is full two-year course so uh, we'll see how it goes in the summer back to the old school way isn't it yep old school purely very very conservative it's weird i remember when i did my history a levels it was completely modular and i think mm. we got resits as well and yeah but history was always one of them funny ones that you didn't have january exams it was always in the summer do you remember you used to do an hour and a half exam back to back yeah i do remember that actually yeah. yeah three hours and i always felt like really hard done to because all the other subjects were 90-minute modular ones, and I always felt like history was really testing us. And now, you know, having just come off the back of where my year 11s have sat a two-and-a-half-hour English exam, 
it, it seems a lot fairer actually <laughs> what that's we went crazy through. isn't it the i've i don't know about you but i've noticed it as a foundation subject um and i know for a fact uh, english have noticed it but with the added exams in english and maths it's more pressure on those departments. Mm. It's more pressure on the students. And as a result, I just feel a little bit of apathy towards my subject this year in year 11. Like the... Well, it doesn't count as much almost. Not that it doesn't count as much, but their priority for revision... Um, Understandably is going to be the new fo- exams. And it has always been focused on English and maths, but it was only ever a couple of exams and they usually came early. But now, I mean, English has been spread. It's mm. foot for... A- a There's another school. one on Monday. Well, at our school, they've they've split it over four exams, mm-hmm. and are you Welsh board? Yeah, yeah, so are we. And it's kind of that's been split over the course of about three weeks as well. Yeah. So in the back of their heads, they've always got, oh, I've got another English exam, or I've got another maths one, and I think that has an impact on how much time they're putting into revision for other subjects. Oh, definitely. I think um, you know, you, you always say this: the older you get, but. I do feel sorry for the year 11s, the pressure they are under. I don't know about your school, but my school definitely have ramped the pressure up. Our year 11s have had to attend revision sessions every single week since September, but sometimes some kids have been attending four times a week. So, you know, something's got to give in the end. These kids, they're only children. We forget that. They're not little exam machines. And I think, you know, we've had a lot of kids this week breaking down in tears, a lot of kids with unexplained stomach bugs, which I just think are nerves. And it's purely pressure, I think. I think the issue came with what the word you said then is that they've had to attend revision. Yeah. And I think um, the key is making it something that they want to attend. Yeah. Well, actually, let's talk about what you do, because you do something really um, quite interesting with revision. No, not really. I mean, it's interesting. I find it interesting, but it's something very, very simple and anyone can do it and it's nothing special but it's just incentive-based revision mm-hmm. so we give um, loyalty cards to the students just like a, a coffee shop uh, loyalty card where you'd collect stamps um, what we were finding was yes as always with the younger year groups it's fairly easy to incentivize them you give them a sticker mm-hmm. and you say well done and, and they're happy you give them a letter or a praise postcard and, and bob's your uncle but with year 10 and 11 in particular, there needs to be a bit more of an incentive there. And unfortunately, good grades is not a big enough mm-hmm. incentive. So there has to be something else. So what we do, to cut a long sh- story short really, is um, if they come to eight revision sessions um, and stay for the full hour of that revision session, they get a sticker, they collect it on their loyalty card, and then they cash them in. And um, every term, so three times over the course of the year, what the final revision session of the year is a rewards one um we do usually a pizza night today we had uh pizza and ice cream mm-hmm. so we halved the amount of pizzas we bought but they had pizzas then we did some revision then we ended with ice cream cones and stuff like that it was good fun where did you keep the ice cream in a freezer wow do you I have know. a freezer in your school yeah that's really cool cutting edge that is amazing <laughs> wow i remember when they plumbed in um a water fountain at my first school and honestly i thought it died and gone to heaven it was amazing and yeah, uh, well, that that brings us back to a nice political issue in terms of funding in schools yeah maybe <laughs> maybe i think that's an, another one for another day well my week um similar to you very tired it's always tiring coming back into mm. a week after half term but over over my half term i'd done a uh, a trip to the battlefields of world war one um, rewarding but very very tiring massively rewarding it was the one of the most rewarding trips i think i've ever been a part of and I, 
Yes, I planned it. <laughs> um, but that's not why it was. But it, it honestly wasn't because I didn't do anything different to how I'd planned any of the other ones. But I did happen to get um, a really good company. Um, and I don't know whether I should be mentioning who they are because is that advertising for other companies? Is that okay? It depends if they are sponsoring you, sweetheart. I think I'm not they sponsored. Are. <laughs> yeah, so it's fine, isn't it? I'm not sponsored at all by this company. Um, and this is just a personal experience that i have had but i i booked through a company called adaptable travel and the whole trip was just filled with little added extras they'd bought chocolates from a belgian chocolate shop for all the kids they'd bought us a wreath to lay at Mm -hmm. one of the locations they sent us before we went away a starbucks gift card with um five pounds on to get yourself a drink um they sent us a selfie stick so we could take photos (laughs) and send them to them Uh, loads of little touches like that they were really really good and we had this issue of a for the first time my experience of having a tour guide from um that we picked up in near dover Mm. and took over and he stayed with us for the duration of the trip now his name is steve smith um (laughs) so don't try (laughs) don't try and google it you're gonna struggle he's a real person i can um but if you do go on twitter for steve smith 1944 um so at steve smith 1944 you'll find him he is uh one of a few um registered tour guides for the area um i can't remember the name of the 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 company that give the official qualification but um he's take he takes tours of uh young people um uh, people researching books mm. for the first world war he's got incredible knowledge a uh, really charming guy and and was a massive support to the trip and just made the whole thing um really personal for the for the students the moment of s- standing at a grave and and learning about somebody buried there and then he presented to us the photograph of the person mm. and we could really kind of connect with the people who were buried in these cemeteries because the number of people is just mind-bogglingly it's astronomical, huge isn't yeah it? so it's really hard to get your head around so when you have somebody just break it down to one single story of one individual, uh, it really does help. So the su- generally, the students had a great time, and the weather was amazing as well. Mm-hmm. It was like 28 degrees every day, which was really helped. Um, I must admit, when you first told me that, I was quite reticent, because we normally go in October, and you think it's cold, it can be wet, you really get that sense of empathy for the soldiers. But actually, I was thinking about it when you were away, and I was thinking you were hot you know kids were getting sunburnt kids were drinking water like it was going out of fashion and actually in a way that's a bit more immediate of an effect than being a bit cold Mm. you know to to really try and empathize with how soldiers were out there with no protection with no water in some instances well either way i think it's beneficial either way it's a a different um spin on it isn't it really i've never been at that time of year you see so it's just a different way of of experiencing it in all honesty it's just different it's no better or worse Mm. i really don't think it is it's a fantastic trip isn't it it is and so they've all come back buzzing and the one thing i would say as well about trips like this is we took a range of students um got on fantastically well with them and i think one of the big things about running trips like that is the change that it, and the impact that it has on your relationships in school and, mm. and in the classroom with those individuals and there was, there was a group of lads who uh, before we went away had some concerns over just because you know they could get up to a bit of mischief and they were um, you know they're, they're really good lads but had the potential to cause us issues and they were fantastic but coming back into school now you realize that when you invest in young people like that and you give up your time 
to spend time with them and sharing learning sharing education beyond the classroom with them it's twofold it 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 raises the importance of education for them and it doesn't remain just something they do in those four walls in that mm. school building they realize or it cements for them that learning is something that happens all the time and second of all it just humanizes you as a teacher and i think that's so important that you build relationships with people and they see you as a, as an, just another person who mm. is into that subject just like they are and also it's that knock-on effect isn't it when you have a rapport with a student in the classroom and or outside of the classroom you're in the corridors the positive impact that has on you know their friends their peers um you know even that comment you often hear as kids are walking away he's sounding and it's like that is the statement of a generation that is how kids judge you and when they see you as a, as a regular person somebody who is willing to invest that time in them like you say it has such a positive impact on the learning environment because you actually move beyond just being this authority figure. There's somebody that they see as a human being. Mm. And I think sometimes kids, that's the issue. You're not somebody who just stands in front of them for an hour trying to impart something in them. You're a person as well that they feel that they have something in common with. And that's sometimes the hardest battle in schools, depending on the nature of the school you work in. Yeah, it certainly can be. So in terms of the election then, we're moving on, are we, to the election? What well, happened? It's a bit of craziness, really, wasn't it? I think, I suppose, as students of history, I mean, my, my A-level history course I teach is Britain 1951 to 2007, and that obviously encompasses a lot of political history. Um, in fact, not long ago, we were revising um, the economic situation in Britain from 1951 to 1979, and um, a big part of that was Wilson's government in 1974, and the election and then the next election six months later and I, I see a lot of parallels and that's the beauty of history isn't it you, you sit there and you think I've seen this before but what an interesting time we've been in what a very interesting time as a historian give it another 20 years we'll be teaching about this we'll be teaching about Brexit we'll be teaching about Corbyn and the resurgence of the Labour Party it, it's fascinating it's it absolutely is. fascinating and I feel personally a lot more invested in politics this week I've always been aware of politics but I wouldn't say bar being a typical Labour voter I ever really got myself as involved but I really feel this time quite invigorated by it I think that's the word I was going to say saying that you're not really interested you haven't been in that is I just mean not personally invested in in a way that like I've actively gone out of my way to share my views which normally I'm quite reticent to do you've been more vocal certainly because yeah. you've always been interested in it I think well, that's yeah, the of wrong course. phrase really but um it was speaking of that I mean I it was very nice to see how many first of all that the young voter turnout mm. was big um there's an interesting article on TES about the education system should take the credit for opening up young people to that but i really didn't really agree with that i think young people are just we've underestimated the fact that they how tuned in they are with mm -hmm. what's going on and actually maybe we just need to consider that they just didn't care about what politics was doing and i do think it, it is ironic them. that a 68 year old man like i've seen online people say that this 68 year old man has invigorated young people there was a, a drama teacher came up and spoke to me today. I've known her for a long time. And she said, uh, one of the students was crying in her drama lesson. She's a year nine student. Mm. Um, this is a year nine student who came to me and said, sir, 
I love, I'm really interested in communism. I think I love communism, but I'm definitely more of a Trotskyist. <laughs> I'm like, well, right, okay, you're 13. Interesting stuff. Um, she's really into her history, really into her politics, and she was crying because the Conservatives were going to join with the DUP and there was nothing she could do about it because <laughs> she couldn't vote. She's 14. Wow. Now, she is an extreme example, but there were... A lot of students very, very interested in it. Yeah, I would totally agree with you. I had a lot of kids today. My year 11s were coming in. I have a year 11 form. And before their exam, the science exam this morning, they were asking me about the election. What do you think about this? What's a hung parliament? And and it's interesting because sometimes I think, particularly with the advent of technology, we are very quick to assume that kids are not engaged. They're more interested in the day-to-day activities of Snapchat and whatever they're getting up to their exams. But they are more clued in than you would think. And, and I really like just hearing kids talk about it. I, I really like hearing people enthusing about politics. Whatever side of the fence you may sit on, let's talk about it. That's the most important thing. Don't ignore it. I think the thing is they're not necessarily that clued up on it, but because they have a lot of questions naturally because mm. you would because they're children but they're just so exposed to such a variety of high impact low intensity information you know like headlines mm. and f- sound bites f- on sound, facebook sound, ba- and... sound bites on facebook or a quick meme on instagram or whatever it may be and then it's gone and it puts something in their mind but they have got questions about mm. it but i think I do think there has been some un- underestimation of of their interest and it, it's certainly been sparked and, and people with, within higher education and students, you know, 18, 19 year olds, mm. um, their turnout has been much higher as well, which is really pleasing to see. It was quite interesting you mentioned that my year 12s the other day were having a very, very vibrant political discussion because one of them revealed himself to be a Theresa May supporter and um, I've never seen so much venom. The (laughs) girls turned on him and it was quite fascinating because, I mean, the demographic of my school is quite an interesting mix. We've got very, very affluent kids, um, you know, quite mid-range, if you will, and then some, some kids who are from quite deprived backgrounds and... It was really interesting to see so many, particularly of the girls, taking exception to it. And they were asking him, justify your position. That was the words they kept using. Justify your position. Why do you think that way? Was it an informed discussion or was it... Because obviously I don't get to spend time... In my institution, we don't have a sixth form. So Mm. I don't get to spend time with students of that age group. So a lot of arguments I hear are you can hear their parents or you can hear the, 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 the... the, the fact that they've been sat in the same room as some adults who've been having this this discussion and they're kind of repeating sound bites was it like that or was this um, something? i would say 50 uh, 50 what we have in my year 12 class we've got some very 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 bright kids um some of whom do politics some of whom study economics as well so they are pretty clued up to what's going on and um i remember one of them saying What's your what's your viewpoint on Theresa May's economic policies? And the lad had no, you know, comeback, and she started reeling off things that have happened. Statistics she's clearly been learning about it, but it got me thinking. You know, we sometimes think about education as a standalone point. You don't sometimes think about the the links to that that modern day. And it was really nice to hear her using what she'd learned to discuss something so relevant because ultimately, as teachers, yeah, you have to teach your exam, and it's something that I. I, I like doing because I like the exam topics, but I don't like the fact that we are essentially exam factories. But it's nice to get that experience where within a lesson you've given a kid an opportunity to have that that discourse with somebody else. And 
Yeah, it was interesting. I think though you're right. Parroting views from home is definitely something in secondary education you have to get used to hearing, mm. particularly so, when doing some more sensitive topics as well. What do you think is the in the short term? Then, what do you reckon is going to be the impact of of the hung parliament? So we've our current knowledge as it is now. Um, this is, it's nine o'clock in the evening on the Friday. Is that Theresa May? will run a minority government alongside the DUP. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems on a kind of vote-by-vote vote basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems to be the situation. So uh, what do you reckon? I mean, uh, specifically within education, uh, do you think there's going to be any impact? No, not in the short term. I think we are currently in the midst of, I mean, this is just my opinion, the long-term changes and effects from Michael Gove harking back six years ago um you don't tend to see in education the ramifications for at least 12 or 18 months thereafter of a government change in hands and i i personally don't think at the moment education is going to be anywhere near their priority brexit strong and stable strong and stable brexit well this is that's that's exactly it and that's why i kind of disagree with your point in a way because i think we are going to see some significant impacts i think I, I highly doubt we're going to see a rollout of this grammar school idea that they've that they they've put forward about increasing the number of grammar schools across the country because I just for exactly the same reason as what you've just said really which is who has got the time and why would the focus be on rolling out grammar schools at a time when essentially this government could collapse very very quickly. When so was I think that planned for anyway? Uh, you're asking me questions beyond my knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> This was something that had kind of been put forward, hadn't it, over the last about, about yeah. over the last maybe three months, mm-hmm. um, and it was it was more of a declaration of intent, I think, yes, than anything else. The long term educational Yeah, it was aims. to say we want more grammar schools without much, unsurprisingly, without much uh, uh, backing or or meat to to the bones, really. So. I don't think there was any specific date that they will start doing it, but it was more to say this is a, an idea or a policy of the Tory mm-hmm. party. So I, I think that's kind of um, uh, an impact that, that will happen. I think there's certain things that obviously the ball is just rolling with mm-hmm. now. I think the fact that the, the way that the Tories used austerity as a means of pulling the plug on funding for schools, that's going to maintain and stay exactly as it is. I think you're right. And I think it's a shame, but ultimately... I know what a lot of teachers and people within education generally are feeling right now is that that we are in the dark and we will have to continue to just feel our way through the dark. And it was interesting. I was sat with a colleague and talking about how frustrated we were with with what you were talking about before, Laura, about the fact that changes have been made to the A-level before any changes have been made to GCSE. And that G- it was in all in reverse, and that yeah. changes at GCSE are happening before changes at primary school level, yeah. and that all of this was basically a backward way at, at doing it. And uh, the discussion I was just having was, look, we were we were looking for some leadership with regards to the changes in education, and we have to realise, I think, that we're just not going to get it. No. And ultimate, and and we ha- we are realising it. Teachers across the country are doing an amazing job of lead. The, leading change talk, themselves talk about what it used to be called the, the leading, leading the from the middle <laughs> and that's exactly what education generally i'm talking about head teachers senior yeah. leaders they are leading from the middle at the minute because 
every school is having to just mm. find their own way to get through. I mean, across, I know of, because of the nature of some of the work that I do, um, I lead um, a hub, a network hub of, of, head, of heads of departments uh, across the borough that I'm in. And when you speak to them, it is shocking the amount of variance mm -hmm. especially with key stage three at the moment with the the life, life without, without levels. levels the variance in schools is unbelievable some schools are still operating with key stage three levels and mm -hmm. just said well forget it we will just carry on regardless because there's no real guidelines because, is yeah. there you some can. schools have completely just eradicated it completely some schools are trying to track progress by breaking grades down into subgrades yeah. like 1 1.2 1.3 1.4 yes. of a grade yeah. which i which no, i'm very I mean, very unsure i'll be honest i how. found it very difficult to split level sixes into a b and c yeah. so let alone how on earth people are, sp are splitting gcse grades that haven't been yeah that we don't actually yet, know what they are yeah. into point is bizarre and then you've got some schools that are just saying well you just say if they're on course or not so they give you an end of year, an end of school target. This is mm -hmm. what they'll get in year eleven, or this is what they should get in year eleven. But you see, this and then, is the thing: are they on course or not? Yes or no, and a simple yes or no answer. That's what I don't understand about this whole notion of scrapping the levels. The levels were flawed in their own way, but it was coherent. It was a widespread policy that if I went to another school, we could talk about and have a professional discussion about a piece of work. If I went to your school now would you and I be assessing in the same manner? Now, I happen to know that, yes, we are, because both of us in our schools are adopting a mastery approach, which is embedding the GCSE skills very early on. But if I was to go to another school within the borough, would I see that? And this is where it poses an interesting question for Ofsted. Do they know what they're looking for? Do they know what mastery looks like in, uh, as opposed to what a 1.2 grade looks like? I don't think Ofsted now are particularly interested in that if i'm honest i think they're when it comes to observing lessons they just want to see progress within mm -hmm. a 20 minute period yeah. and that's it can you move this group of kids on from where they were 20 and it doesn't have ago? to be a number or no. a figure it just has to be visible in the lesson that's interesting when you and i first started teaching it was very much like your observation lessons had to be around levels outcomes and moving had kids to be linked on, to yeah. out outcomes had to be linked to levels. tangible levels yeah, yeah. But which is which is obscene in its own respect isn't it because how can you do that it's sometimes the learning isn't quantifiable you, you know you, you know the progress is happening but you can't necessarily level it and i think it's 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 an interesting dilemma as heads both of us as heads of department i think you know you're looking at trying to lead that and and push forward a sense of making the kids lifelong learners and embedding that sense of mastery but that in itself promotes its difficulty we've just had our year nine groups given to us and we've noticed this year our numbers are down a little bit and when i did some pupil voice one of the big points the kids said was there's a lot of writing in history we've done a lot of questions and it puts you in that gray area of you want to prepare the kids for these new tough linear gcses you don't want to scare them away from the love of the subject it's a very interesting one and i would totally link these dilemmas to the changes that occurred in 2010 yeah well i was about to say you know let's bring it back to to governmental change i mean i don't have anything wrong at the at the heart of it of the the prospect of changing the grading system no 
my issue is the complete arrogance of having and I don't want this to be a Michael Gove witch hunt <laughs> or a Michael Gove slang. There's match. enough of them out there. Exactly. But the arrogance with which a politician with whose only experience of education is their own experience as a student through education to start winging um, basically no methodology mm -hmm. towards a new grading system. And we ended, we've ended up in this absolute um, malaise of... of nobody really no. knowing what the left hand not knowing what the right hand's doing is very very frustrating Can I just say something quite controversial as well i actually agree with the tory reforms of the gcse i do agree that we needed to make the system a bit more coherent from well, gcse I, to well, a I level however it's the notion you're absolutely right the method with which they've done it is absolutely backwards you know one doesn't fix a car by breaking it first that's what it feels like i genuinely feel like we're doing it all backwards. You, you say to the kids when that you know like they write an answer, tell a chronological story. We've got a new question in our GCSE. Write an account. Write a narrative account. Write a narrative account. So you got. say to them, you know, when you read a book, you don't start at the end. You start at the beginning, and that is exactly what I feel like the Conservatives did. It was good intentioned. I genuinely believe that they wanted to make Britain compete with some of the other schools that were you know around the world doing this international baccalaureate, but you don't start at the end and work backwards that's not going to make any progress whatsoever mm. well yeah amen to that the, 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 there was nothing wrong with with choosing to change the grading system I completely agree with that I can remember as an NQT and I know I'm not alone in thinking this I can remember going in and trying to get my head around... Do you remember trying to get your head around key stage three levels? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like and it was so was, strange. Like, I found What's that, a six in comparison to a five? I found that harder than trying to get my head around GCSE grades because I had, like... You have a mark scheme. You get so many marks for hitting this level in a, G, in a, in a GCSE question or, or response. But the level... Like, I came in and I was like, how do I attribute... A level and a subdivision grade <laughs> to a diary entry about yeah or a or a speech and it, it was all it was rubbish really mm. and and you were saying about well you know you used to be able to go into schools and and you could tell you know each school could say what was a level six or a level seven i don't think they could i, I really I think we were don't all adept at bullshitting at the same i think level. everybody <laughs> had their own interpretation and i don't think there was enough into school moderation yeah I and i definitely agree. think that that is a, a positive of of how schools have started to lead this change themselves if they said look we're gonna have to work together on this and i've noticed a lot of more into school support is coming about even through academies because they've got to get that we we have to get that validation from one another to say look it may not be perfect, but at least it's consistent mm. and we have to create some kind of consistent model there. Well, that's what I like about the fact that the changes have brought to education. You know, as somebody who's moved schools, this is my third school I'm currently at. Every single time I've moved school, it has invigorated me and the change hasn't always been easy. The change has been hard and 
every time I've done it, you question, is it the right thing? But what it does is it invigorates your practice. And I think what has happened with these new GCSE and A-level reforms is it has invigorated people because you've had to throw away what you used to do. If you were somebody who'd been in, one of my department has been teaching for 20 years. And so for her, she has seen the GCSEs come and go. But her GCSE, the, the, the AQA spec B that we were doing, essentially had remained unchanged since you and I were doing our GCSEs. So she's really out of her comfort zone. But she said, do you know what? I'm enjoying it. Mm. We had a department meeting last week. She said, I'm really enjoying planning the new Germany stuff because it's, it's making me think about it in a different way. You're thinking about new skills. Well, I, I, think that, I think you're spot on. But my, the issue with that, I feel, is because of the the way it was just thrown upon us it's just not sustainable for the the amount of other things we have to do well this is where planning it comes into a, time doesn't it exactly because planning for a new scheme like that you need like two or three years notice before mm. you even have to start thinking about it you know it should be we are going to introduce a new system a new gcse and um, it none of it for those of you who are perhaps not necessarily in education day to day as a, as a teacher maybe or a, an academic you might not know this but they essentially said we are going to have a new system with instead of grades we're going to have numbers and we're going to have a completely new type of exam but we don't know what the questions will be we don't know what the answers will look like we don't and we don't know what grade, grade we will it. give to those answers but just get on with it so get on with it and then the first lot who go through will work out what the grades are and you can take it from there which was obviously completely immoral and wrong so what I would have wanted was in three years you're going to start a new GCSE here are the questions that you'll be asked here is the format it will take and this all should have been done before it was even announced and this is what the grades will look like. This is what they'll have to do to achieve those grades. Now you've got two years to get all your planning in order, get it ready to start delivering. And that just never happened. And if that had happened, if they had had educational professionals making these kinds of decisions instead of public school pe- children with no experience of, of leading in education, we wouldn't have had the turmoil that we're in. My I, I absolutely agree with you and this is where it, it segues nicely back to you know in this week yeah let's bring you know, it back we, around to we this week are and what, th- the how, mercy what impact it's going to have in the education profession of changing governments now you know for tony blair's faults of which, football, of say, which there are many 1997 he comes to power with his education 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 manifesto and you know i was speaking to my mum before about this you and i are both products of that through that you and i had a consistent education teachers had labor in power until 2010 so what 13 years of stability because there's one government one message and then what happens in 2010 we get our new government and we start to see these changes being enacted which are only now coming into fruition because this is the issue with education you might get a new government but these changes take three years to come into place without us necessarily being involved in it as educational professionals it's a year before we're told oh you can roll it out you know we are massively a political football and you know join the club with other public sector things this is the issue 
it, it, it was interesting what Corbyn was talking about, about having this national education service almost, where it kind of stands aside from, from the government. And I it massively should be agree with that. From the government if you look completely. at um, places like Finland that happen to have really good education systems, Sweden, who are you know, high ranking in the world, the government don't interfere. Because they don't know the first thing about it. Because they don't it. know the first thing. Canada are an interesting country. Every single position under Justin... Is it Justin Trudeau? Mm-hmm. The handsome young fellow who's Prime Minister. Um, every single person who is in charge of a ministry is actually like experienced in what they do. So the Minister for Education used to be a teacher. Used to be a head teacher. It's like... Yeah. Who'd have thought that it? That makes sense. Yeah. It's like, I wouldn't go and fix a car because I don't know what I'm doing. So you won't put me in charge of cars because, you know, I'd kill you all. It'd be awful. That wasn't a threat, by the way. No, it wasn't. Please, please don't take that seriously. Unless you don't listen to the podcast, then maybe it is. <laughs> so um, so just to round off the, this main section, really, um, we've we've talked about the fact that we don't really think there's going to be a great deal of change in the short term. Um, with, with regards to this hung parliament, we will continue to to feel our way through the dark and, and hopefully come to a satisfactory conclusion with regards to these new qualifications. So um, what what kind of, I suppose, would be your your hope going forward politically? What what is it? Stability, like you said, just some kind of... Do, do you know, I, I would like to say yes, but actually I don't think we can Strong continue. and stable. Yeah, I don't want strong and stable. My honest wish would be and this is my political views, but to actually remove the current the current GCSEs in the way they are. This is this is for a different podcast. This idea of linear exams is alienating kids. Well, it's it's retrograde the system. It is not a, a one size fits all. There's that really famous quote, isn't it, from Einstein? There's the fish and the um, yeah, I don't think it's actually that accurate. No, of course it's not. I don't think it actually is Einstein, no, but, but I know what you're going to say. You, an element of, you don't you know, get fish, you know, if you, you put, a, what was it, like a fish, a monkey and an elephant. And there's a banana up a tree. Going, yeah, you know, and you've got to climb the tree to get the banana and that's the test. And you it's know, like, of well, course there's one of them's going to do better and this is the issue I think with our education system the way it is and I'm not at all saying that the way when I first started teaching was necessarily the best. I think it was better. So my wish for the future would be that, you know, within a few years we see that these GCSEs are not working and we have a really holistic approach to education that starts at the bottom and builds its way up and it might be tough but I feel like we've had enough tough times in education that that would be my hope so that's kind of the blue sky approach I completely agree with you you know an overhaul and and like you say there's a lot of podcasts ahead where we will discuss an Mm. awful lot of our kind of big sky big I keep saying big sky blue sky (laughs) ideas about the way education should be and certainly one of them is a complete reform of of the from the grassroots you know from the ground up uh, reforming the way we assess young people certainly is up there but what we should we do in the meantime so this is kind of how i would hope to round out the podcast in the future what are you going to do next week next week well next week is my final ever gcse aqa spec b exam and i'm going to send them kids off with a smile and the enthusiasm that they deserve to get them through it nice next week I've got same, the final kind of year 11 exam. Um, seeing them off and get seeing them off and just 
knowing that I did the best I could by then will be a fantastic feeling. Um, and so will the gain time I get from oh, not having yes. year 11s anymore. Period five on Wednesday. Yeah, I have a year 11 form. It will be amazing to get into work. <laughs> And not like be spilling coffee down myself while I shovel some toast in my face while I'm trying before to set my lesson up before my year in. eleven form come in. That'd and be then lovely. start touching the glue sticks, leave them on the table. <laughs> so I think that is a perfect way to end our first podcast. Um, thank you, Laura, for helping me with doing the first one. Thank you, Paul, for having me here. <laughs> That's so natural. <laughs> Look at the natural way this husband and wife talk to each other. Um, no, I have. I do really appreciate it. It's nice to get it off. The, I couldn't think of a better person to get it all started Aww. with. Um, no, yeah. no, uh, so um, we will see what happens next week. We will try and keep this to a weekly upload. Um, we record on a Friday and we'll upload on the Monday. So you'll, you should get a podcast greeting you. Um, Ready ev- to help you face the weekend. Yeah, every Monday. So th- that's the intention and we will stick to it. So we hope you've enjoyed the first podcast. It will be the first of many. Don't forget uh, to to get to us on Twitter. It's at New Focused. It's at capital N, E-W-F-O-C-U-S-E-D. Um, it, I know that's New Focused with one S, but it's New Focus Ed, as in yeah. education. You see, it's a bit of a play on words. <laughs> see what I there. Um, we've also got a YouTube channel. It's very, very early stages, but please go to it. There will start to be videos added to there. Um, just put in new focus education on YouTube and and you'll find that too Um, and that's about it really so that just leaves us to say thank you very much for listening thank you very much and we will speak to you next week take care